Hey everyone, this is episode number 97 of the Keto Diet Podcast, and I'm so happy we're hanging out today. Today we're chatting about lectin concerns, eating vegan, carb limits on vegan keto, who may benefit from a plant-based keto approach, and so much more. So I used to be vegan. I was vegan for a really, really, really long time. And there was a period where I did vegan really right. And there was a period where I did vegan really wrong. And no matter what I did with my vegan approach, it just wasn't the right eating style for me at that current time. And so I do not resonate with the vegan approach. It's not something that I know will benefit my body. But I have met countless people that thrive on a vegan eating style. And who am I to make this podcast all about whatever works for me and none of the stuff that doesn't. Because I understand that some of you are more plant-based, that you thrive on plants, that you're keto, and you just want to figure out how to kind of balance both then this topic is for you. And I've put together a really sweet podcast extra specifically for this episode. You can get it at healthfulpursuit.com slash podcast slash E97. We got two cool things today. And that is the first that if you really enjoy the conversation about meat-free keto and doing more of the plant-based thing, I had Liz McDowell on the podcast back in episode 49. And we chatted a lot about the practicality of vegan keto and how to make it all work together, what foods to choose. So I would highly recommend going back in your podcast player and downloading episode 49 if you love this topic. You can also go to healthfulpursuit.com slash podcast slash E49 to get that episode. Second is, if you are new to keto and you're just trying to design your ketogenic approach, or you're starting to get a little bit overwhelmed with eat this, not that, keto flu testing, bah, I've put together a little free guide for you. All you got to do is go to healthfulpursuit.com slash free to get it. Okay, let's do this thing. Welcome to the Keto Diet Podcast, the show all about keto for women. So you can burn fat, balance your hormones, heal your body, quickly adapt to a ketogenic diet, avoid common struggles, and get the results you crave. And now, here's your host. You might know her as the Keto Queen. She's the international best-selling author of The Keto Diet, founder of Happy Keto Body, and she loves dipping pork rinds in avocado oil mayo, Leanne Vogel. Our guest today is Dr. Will Cole, a leading functional medicine practitioner specializing in clinically investigating underlying factors and customizing health programs for chronic conditions such as thyroid issues, autoimmune, hormonal dysfunctions, and more. He consults locally in the Pittsburgh area, as well as with webcam and phone consultations for people across the country and around the world. Dr. Cole is a health writer for international publications such as Mind Body Green and Lectures Nationally. And just a heads up, I had to tether to my phone while recording this episode because the hotel I was staying at lost their internet. Well, they didn't lose it. I don't think they ever had internet. Anyway, so I'm tethered to my phone. I'm doing all these calls. I'm trying to make it all work. And it turns out that all of the episodes I recorded over three days didn't record properly on my end of things. So the last couple of episodes on the Keto Diet Podcast, we've had to like cut and paste and move things around. And this is one of those episodes, but we really couldn't fix it 
that well <laughs> and not like we wanted to. So instead of having the guest come back and everything that Dr. Will Cole shares, is just so good that we didn't want to have to redo it. Cause sometimes when you redo it, it's like not the same magic as the first time. So what we've done here is Dr. Cole's content is so perfect. You can hear it. It's great. The audio is awesome, but mine is missing. So what we've done is recorded questions that I had, tried to paste it all together, make it work, bear with us. We're really excited to try this new strategy and know that we will not be doing this again. We've switched the way that we're recording episodes. We now have backups of backups and different processes in place. And even at episode 97, we're still learning and we're all just humans. And I am not a professional podcast manager. I didn't go to school to do all the things that are required to make all this happen. I Google, we figure it out as a team. And that's what we're doing. So without further ado, let's cut over to this Q&A, I guess. Hi, Dr. Will. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm so good. Thanks so much for coming on the show. This is a topic that a lot of people want to hear about right now. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with it. I'm so excited for Ketotarian to kind of be out to the masses to, to read. Yeah. And has it launched yet or not? This episode's going to go live August 5th. It comes out August 28th. Okay. So something to look forward to. For listeners that may not be familiar with your work, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about you? Yeah. So uh, my name is Dr. Will Cole. I am a functional medicine practitioner. So predominantly, the most, most of my week is spent kind of immersed in patients' cases and getting them healthy and but. 90% of my patients are seen virtually via webcam consultations, and but I'm based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And yeah, so my doctorate is from Southern California University of Health Sciences in Los Angeles. And my postdoctorate education and training is in functional medicine and clinical nutrition. Um, I'm one of MindBody Green. MindBody Green is one of the, if not the largest wellness websites in the world. I'm one of their course instructors and wellness experts. I write a lot for them. I write for Goop as well. And yeah, this is kind of what I'm immersed in is functional medicine and seeing patients for the past 10 plus years. And now to really kind of boil what I've seen work and what doesn't in uh, ketotarian, I'm very excited about it. Yes. And we're going to chat a little bit about your book. Oh, well, I do have a question right now. You say, uh, well, the title is Ketotarian, the mostly plant-based plan. What does that mean by mostly? I'm so curious about the mostly. Yeah. So I put three different tracks in Ketotarian. I gave vegan ketogenic options as sort of the base and then vegetarian ketogenic options and pescatarian ketogenic options, or what I call in the book is vegetarian, basically these plant-based wild-caught fish, fatty fish, fish and shellfish. So I gave people three different options and they can do all three, obviously, but then some people are going to only pick one because of their personal preference or maybe ethical reasons or religious reasons. And then they have this, that option. Um, but I kind of make the conversation in the book to kind of really bring the two worlds together, I guess. Uh, and there are many people in the vegan and vegetarian plant-based world that are looking they're not feeling so well, their health's not going so well, and they want other options. So I'm kind of educating them through my experience in functional medicine. And then there's a lot of people in the keto world that aren't feeling so well either. So hopefully marrying this sort of amalgamation of both the best of both worlds, I think is what I try to convey in the book. 
I love paths. I did the same thing in my book with five different paths because it's kind of terrifying when you read a health book and they don't give options and you're sort of like, but like, really though, I really feel like because people are so different and I know this, I believe this a hundred percent and I've seen this in practice is like, everyone needs something a little bit different. And I really appreciate that you put three different options in there for people knowing that people are different and need different options. So thank you for that. Yeah. And let me just say, can I say that your book is the gold standard? It's beautiful and amazing. And I'm I love it. It's a great resource. Oh, geez. Oh, I'm blushing. Thanks so much. That's so great. And I always love to ask every guest before we get started, like really diving deep into today's content is what does keto mean to you? Keto means to me, and it's kind of evolved over the years, but I I really see it as this metabolic foundation and shifting our body, obviously, from being a sugar burner where most people in the West reside to being a fat burner. And it's this metabolic transition, building this, this flexibility is really where I see it. And the, I, what I wanted to really permeate ketotarian is this grace-based approach to eating and wellness and not becoming overly dogmatic about macronutrients or, or any one way. And, and like you had said, a little bit ago is that you'll be proven wrong with the next patient. And I I see patients all day long. I see you cannot be so myopic and say, this is the one path for everybody. What, it, what ketogenic means to me is creating the metabolic flexibility to have food freedom, to have the, the liberty to feel great. And that's, that's freedom. Health is freedom. So that's what ketogenic lifestyle means to me. Beautiful. I love asking that question because everybody answers severely different. And I think that just goes to show is that you can use the ketogenic diet in so many different ways, depending on what is important to you. So, uh, okay. The first question I wanted to ask in regards to plant-based keto. So I don't know if you're familiar, but there's this huge carnivore thing happening right now with keto where people are opting for very limited, if not at all, like not eating any plants. And one of the reasons behind that is because lectins, which um, bind to cell membranes and other plant defenses, and kind of they uh, project or protect them against uh, microorganisms. And when we eat those plants, then people are concerned that it's going to wreak havoc on our body. I wanted to kind of get your feeling before because I wanted to ask you the benefits of plants. Like what are the benefits of plant-based keto? But I think first we need to kind of get your opinion on the whole lectin conversation. Are plants actually healthy? I just want to set the tone um, before we dive in. Yeah, that's a great question. And really the heart of functional medicine is biological variability, meaning we're all different. And I think it even applies to this carnivore ketogenic approach. And I'm I have my own podcast with Jimmy Moore, Keto Talk, and we get questions every week about these issues, these different ideas within the keto world. And I think that short term, and for some people, even like a moderate time, a carnivore ketogenic diet can work great for some people. I think you can shift the metabolism. I think that you can get a lot of nutrient dense uh, foods in a, a, a carnivore ketogenic approach. But my concern from a functional medicine standpoint for most human beings is the long term impact that has on the gut microbiome, namely in the form of non-starchy vegetables and the, the food that they provide the microbiome and the production of short chain fatty acids and obviously the fiber 
and the phytonutrients that are at play with plant foods, everybody's different. I think some people can definitely get away with less plant foods in their life and do fine and their labs look great and there's no problem there. But there are definitely many people that I've seen over the years that would not do well long term with this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we've already chatted a little bit about the microbiome. And I'm assuming that that's one of the well, I know that that's one of the benefits of, of, of eating more plants. But can we chat about the benefits specifically of plant based keto? Like why would a vegan want to start eating keto? And why would a keto person kind of be drawn to more of a plant based approach? Yeah. So speaking from experience, I in my teens and my early 20s, mid 20s, I was a vegan for a, a lot of for about 10 years. And I had seen my health suffer. And I was doing all the things that the vegan world and the vegetarian world were telling me to do. And I was doing it with well intentions, with good intentions. And I think that a lot of people are doing that way of eating. They're coming out of the standard American diet, the standard Western diet, and they're looking for trying to do the right thing. And I still clinically now as a functional medicine practitioner, I see that's going on in many people's lives. They're fatigued, their digestion's wrecked. And I find that there are a lot of them are um, carbitarians. They're just eating all this carbohydrates to get through the day as their fuel source. And that leaves them, many of them inflamed and kind of uh, always thinking about the next meal because this kindling of carbohydrates is short-lived as far as fuel is concerned. So I think it's a ketotarian is really meant for both worlds and the standard American dieter that are not feeling well and then want to optimize their health, or maybe they just want other variety in their life. Um, so how I talk about it in the book is to, for the vegan and vegetarian that's not fat adapted, which ma majority of them are not going to be, um, to put in at least 60 days to, to become a fat burner, to get keto adapted. And from there, they can see how they feel and personalize the carbohydrate intake um, and if they still feel great, they can continue on that long term. So there's some personalization along with that, but they put in the work over those 60 days to become in a ketogenic state. And then the keto community, which I, I talk to a lot throughout my day as well, is that they are... Um, becoming a lot of them are becoming fearful of plant foods. They're becoming overly obsessed about macros and overly obsessed about um, limiting vegetable because they're fearful of them leaving ketosis. So it's kind of giving them plant-based ketogenic options to know they don't have to pick one or the other. They can do both or be more plant-based in their life if they feel better. Because I see a lot of people trying to do the right thing and being a fat burner in the ketogenic world, and they're not feeling so well. And they have digestive issues, or they have other problems. And I think marrying the best of both worlds is really, I think, a solution for a lot of people out there. I'm so happy you mentioned personalizing your carb intake because when I realized I did not need to eat 20 grams of carbs for the rest of my life on keto... It changed the game for me, <laughs> like changed the game. Um, so what have you seen in your practice? Like what's, cause I'm, I'm assuming, and I don't know if this is your approach, but I'm, I'm guessing that the 20 gram carb limit isn't something that a vegan keto person could go down to. Is that right or not right? Like is the amount of carbs that they're eating higher than 20 grams? 
It depends on if they're intermittent fasting, I guess, throughout the day and their starting point. But actually in the book, I recommend at the beginning to be for the first week or so to go around 20 grams. But you're right. I think longer term, if they're strict vegan keto, then their carb intake is going to be a little bit higher. Um, But again, there's vegetarian options with eggs and ghee and pescatarian options too. But for the vegan keto person, which has many options in the book, they um, are more or less are going to be a little bit higher from a carb standpoint, all from real foods. I talk about the topic of net carbs versus total carbs and the impact that fiber has on the intestinal gluconeogenesis. So we cover all of that stuff. But you're right. I think in general, when they're predominantly focusing on non-starchy vegetables and plant foods, their carb intake is going to be a little bit higher. But because of the carb restriction as a whole, just across the board, uh, ketosis is still the goal. And it's completely possible for somebody in that vegan keto world. Yeah. Um, for myself, I can, it's, I don't know if this is anomaly, I, I've seen it in other people, but I can eat about 80 grams of, of total carbs a day and stay in ketosis just fine. Yeah. So what's the, what's the average, I know people want to know numbers. So I'm asking this question for those people. What's the average amount of carbs that a vegan keto person would eat like what do you see in your practice as them being able to stay in ketosis and also eat those plant foods what's like a number ish yeah, number so at the beginning again a lot of people in the plant-based world they are not going to be fat adapted so i would start lower at the beginning and we talk about intermittent fasting and those type of tools to use to kind of push the body a little bit more effectively in a short period shorter period of time um, so starting about 20 25 grams of carbs at the beginning. And then from there, I recommend the max while they're doing that six week ketogenic kind of rehab, I would say 55 grams of net carbs, which is going to be around 80, under 100 grams of total carbs for the day. And then after that eight weeks, I've seen people that you can even go up to 150 grams and still be in ketosis. What? Cool. Yeah. It depends on their sensitivity to carbs. It depends on their, uh, many people can't get away with it. Many people that are insulin resistant or have inflammatory issues, they can't get away with it, but, um, it depends on the person. Yeah. Um, so I, I started doing a thing called carb ups a couple of years ago where every couple of days, and now it's every couple of weeks I have carbs in the evening. And I, the next morning I'm in ketosis. I don't know if I could do it every day at that high level, like 150, but there are days where I have 150 grams of carbs and I wake up in the morning and I'm back in ketosis and all is well with the world. So I think it's really cool. I'm actually very excited to read your book because this will be quite thrilling because there's not, there aren't a lot of people talking about the fact that keto doesn't have to be just one thing. And so I really, really appreciate the fact that the space is changing. And I just wanted to take a moment to say, Thanks. Like, thanks for forging forward with this because that's really great that you're, we're able to give people more options so they can find a keto that works well for them. Oh, I, appreciate, I appreciate it. And that's really what it was born out of. It's because I'm a practitioner doctor first. So it was really born out of seeing what people are looking for and saying, okay, look, now I can kind of share this with people who aren't my patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And reach a broader op- audience to help people. That was my big thing is like, I just want to help all the people with this information I know. So that's really cool. Okay. So when I was vegan many, many moons ago, I found it really challenging to have like a diverse 
diet. How do you, and maybe in your book or just in your practice, how do you keep a plant-based approach diverse? Well, in the book, there's over 80 different recipes. Most of them are completely plant-based. So I think getting a fresh view of ideas and how to prepare vegetables that you don't have to eat uh, like a rabbit, like munching on salads all day, nothing against kale right out there. But having variety, I think is important, not just from a nutrient standpoint, but also from a taste standpoint, an interest standpoint, and not getting bored with your foods. So there's so much things you can do in how you prepare different plant foods and the spices that you use and the oils that you use and the herbs that you use um, and how you prepare it, how you cook it can change the taste of it as well. So I think there's a lot of variety there. And that's why I really wanted to make it fun and interesting and not so basic, but still simple enough to not be, uh, you don't have to be Martha Stewart to be um, ketogenic either. Okay, great. So like, what are some vegetarian friendly protein sources? A lot of people that don't eat animal protein opt for a bunch of soy. So what's your opinion on soy? Is non-GMO soy okay? And what about fermented soy products? Is a general rule, like regular soy out there, most of it's genetically modified. Uh, it isn't organic. I would not recommend your average soy product out there. But fermented soy, I make an exception for. So natto and tempeh, uh, those are two different fermented soy, obviously organic, non-GMO. Uh, it's a good source of probiotics for the microbiome. And it is more digestible because of the fermentation process and it breaks down any of the lectins and phytic acid and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, those are the exception. And it's a complete protein, meaning it has all the nine essential amino acids for someone that is completely vegan. Um, and then there are other plant-based proteins out there. I mean, spirulina is a good source. You can have nuts and seeds, obviously. Um, so those are the kind of the top protein sources for somebody that's vegan keto. So were you at all concerned about phytoestrogens? As a general rule, no. Everybody's different. Everybody's kind of coming in with this different baseline as far as the hormonal panel is concerned, their methylation, genetic impairments, and um, the detoxification impairments. So I think there's always exceptions to it. But the research that I've seen um, is the impact the phytoestrogens, ha phytoestrogens have on beta estrogen receptors, which has sort of a hormonal modulatory impact on overall estrogen levels. And as people with estrogen dominance, so studies show it actually has this balancing lowering effect because it activates this beta estrogen receptor and not the alpha estrogen receptor, which is what, you know, estrogen creams or hormonal replacement therapy or birth control will activate these alpha estrogen receptors, which can create estrogen dominance. So, as a general rule, no, it actually has been shown to have a more of a balancing impact on it. But without a doubt, I think I am a major proponent of diversity and not having that being your sole protein source. I don't think that's a good idea. So I think, and that, that applies to a lot of different foods, not just soy, but I think having variety is a good thing for most people. Cool. And what are your thoughts on legumes? Do you feel like they're okay? And how do you, how do you manage that on a ketogenic diet where we need to keep our carbs low and legumes are high in carbs, but also protein? In the ketotarian plan, they are a no-go for the um, 60 days. And after that, I think finding your carb sweet spot, they definitely have a home. And some people do well with 
with legumes and they're soaking them and to break down the lectins and they're doing fine with them. As a general rule, I, I'm not a major fan of them as your it's definitely should not be a staple for most people, but if they want to bring them in here and there, they enjoy them. It's can definitely be a part of a plant-based keto world. I just wouldn't have it be like a staple because of the carb content, because of the lectins. They don't, they're not my top choice for sure. So back when I was vegan, combining proteins was super, super important. Um, so, you know, when you had the, the rice, you also had to have beans with it. So it made a complete protein. Do you have to combine certain foods in one meal to get a complete protein? Are there plant foods that contain a complete protein or is that less of a concern now? Yeah, I, I think that definitely not becoming obsessive about it if you're vegan keto and realizing if you get it within the day, it, that's the goal. It doesn't have to be every meal having all nine essential amino acids. I think if you're having a variety of different plant foods and bringing in some complete proteins at least once, twice a day as well, in addition to the incomplete proteins of pl different plant foods, you're going to be fine. Uh, I've never seen a negative impact uh, on labs and just subjectively in a patient's life uh, for those that are vegan keto. So what are your thoughts about the recommendations from the books, The Vegetarian Myth by Lear Keith and Dr. Mark Hyman's new book, Food, What the Heck Should I Eat? Where animals are a part of sustainable agriculture. Yeah, because I think that's the one of the reasons why people go plant-based, vegan, and vegetarian is they're trying to do maybe the right thing from an environmental standpoint too. And that's definitely not everybody's motivation. Some people are doing it for health reasons or ethical animal reasons. But the environmental component is many people's motivation, at least in part. Um, but I, I really, out of this book wanted to educate the vegan and vegetarian world and kind of bring them the conversation piece from people like Joel Salatin and the books that you had mentioned of sustainable agriculture, agriculture and using cows and using animals at, to help the earth. And I really wanted to kind of open the conversation to the vegan vegetarian world to say, look, you can bring these foods in and you are not, I mean, there's a strong argument for uh, doing local organic farming as a way to improve the environment. Um, so I, I see both sides of it. I think that obviously everyone's going to agree that mass farming, CAFOs are not good for animals, are not good for the environment as a general rule. But local farming done right, you don't always have to throw the, you know, the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. And I think this nuanced conversation of, yes, the impact that um, modern farming is having on the environment, I, I don't deny that. But also, I think it you can have a nuanced perspective of it and maybe bringing both sides again to the middle here to see how to do it right if you decide after these 60 days in ketotarian to bring in grass-fed meat throughout the week. And some people do great on it and they do fine. But if you want to stay completely plant-based, at least have grace and understanding for people who do eat meat. In the book, I definitely use a diff few different sources um, as references to the most sustainable fish, the cleanest fish, basically the lowest in mercury and other pollutants, as well as the highest in good fats and the omega fats. So the Environmental Working Group is one of them. They have a great, EWG has great resources. But obviously, Alaskan salmon, wild caught, 
albacore tuna, specifically uh, U.S., Canadian, wild, polecot, that is a good source as well. Anchovies, sardines, Atlantic uh, mackerel. There's a big list in the book where I go over, here. these are the best to pick from. And then out of that group, which ones are the highest in the omega fats and which ones are kind of a decent amount of it. Um, so they have a reference there because I wouldn't go towards the more bigger, larger um, predatory fish like swordfish that are notably as general rule higher in mercury. So you kind of want to stay away from those. So great. We align in so many ways. Do you recommend any supplements for people who are doing more of a plant-based keto approach? Oh yeah, totally. So, and that's one of the books, uh, the chapters in the book is I kind of talk about plant-based for better and worse and then ketogenic for better and worse. And in the worst section for plant-based, I talk about nutrient deficiencies. You cannot talk about the conventional vegan diet and not talk about nutrient deficiencies. So, um, I say this is the drawback and they're going to have to come up with um, a solution to these problems that are inherent in some of the foods that people choose within the vegan world. Obviously, it's less of a problem for vegetarians, but we're talking about the strict vegan. And yes, so I think B vitamins are definitely something that are lacking, specifically B12. And when I measure homocysteine on the lab and it's through the roof on somebody that you know has MTHFR and MTRR, these like um, methylation impairments, and they're eating, eating vegan, they're going to have to come up with a solution. Yeah, they can supplement with these vitamins and many of them choose to do so. But my overall opinion is, okay, look, if you are not getting the nutrients that your body needs, not anybody else, but your body needs more of because of maybe genetic mutations, then if, you, if you're not getting from the foods that you're eating, is it ideal for you? Is it, is, if we weren't in our modern society where we could supplement our way out of it, is that ideal for you? And I think that the answer would be no for that person. And they're going to have to kind of come to grips or do they value their health more than their ideals? And maybe their ideals need to shift and kind of opening that door for them to say, look, these, this wild caught fish is an abundant source of B vitamins. Let's, let's talk about that. Or eggs are abundant source of B vitamins. Are you open to that? Um, kind of bringing that conversation to them. Um, and then iron is another one too. I see a lot of iron deficiency as well. Again, you can supplement it, but if you have to supplement your way to get these numbers looking great, if you're not getting ample amounts out of your food, do you should you shift some of the things? You can still be, as the, the title of the book, mostly plant-based, but you're bringing some of these foods in to improve your health. I definitely make an exception in the book for one thing that's not vegan, vegetarian, or pescatarian is bone broth and the collagen and the gelatin that provides. Obviously, you can do fish broth and be completely pescatarian there, but not many people are like gunning for the fish broth. So um, allowing for chicken broth and beef broth and gelatin by itself um, as a food medicine. So who do you feel should try plant-based keto? Are there any specific issues that could be treated by a plant-based keto approach, like say, for instance, gout? I think really, and I'm not saying this just because I wrote a book about it, but I really feel like anybody should try this for at least the 60 days because I think the plant-based world really needs this. I think the keto world, a lot of people could benefit from at least implementing some of this into their life. If not, some people, again, because of ApoE4 mutations or gut problems, they don't do well in tons of saturated fat. So they want to bring more plant-based keto 
uh, options into their life. Or for some people, it's just personal preference. They just don't like eating a lot of animal fats and they prefer just from a lifestyle preference standpoint. So I think it really can benefit anybody. Um, but specifically when it comes to health conditions, yeah, I think inflammatory problems as a whole, gout, you mentioned, um, you know, avoiding like high purine foods, which is a lot of red meat and fish, certain fish. Um, so being more vegetarian and vegan keto with these type of inflammatory problems for a time uh, is a great idea. Putting in that time when I first became keto to create that metabolic flexibility. And then from there, like you said, like you have more carbs at night, um, some nights and you wake up and you're still in ketosis and you have that grace and lightness. And I really wanted to maybe bring to both worlds, specifically the keto world, this idea of, as I mentioned earlier, this grace-based way of eating of, we cannot heal a body we hate. And I think a lot of people, it's born out of good intentions, but I think orthorexia is kind of rampant in not just the keto world, but the wellness world as a whole of becoming overly obsessed with food to the point of it creating stress and anxiety. And you can eat the best foods in the, under the sun. You can get your macros on point, but you still can be miserable and not feeling well because of the stress and anxiety. You're not dealing with the mind-body component. So what it did for me and what I hope that Ketotarian does for other people is really seeing self-care as a form of self-respect and not becoming obsessive about food. It's becoming, hey, look, if a food doesn't make me feel good, why it's not shame or rules or diet dogma to avoid something that doesn't make you feel good. This is about feeling fantastic and knowing what foods make you feel fantastic. So that's what keto has done for me and I hope it can do for other people. That's great. And I have a couple last questions that I like to ask every guest if we can get to it. And those are, what's your favorite keto thing to eat right now? I am a simple, simple man. So I, in the, my like short lunch in between seeing patients, I, for the past like 10 years or so, I've been doing, I just will have like three or four raw eggs and like an avocado with um, like olive oil on it. And I have this, I formulated this adaptogen uh, with spirulina actually um, for Agent Natura. It's called Holy Youth. But I have it every day in like coconut milk. Um, it makes sort of a green spirulina coconut milk latte. That's like my go-to. I love it. It seems probably freaky and like not appealing for a lot of people, but I love it. Have you learned about your body and adjusted things for yourself over time? Honestly, it was plant-based ketogenic options. And that's why I wrote the book. I And I hopefully out of that, it starts a conversation of like more food options for people that are looking more, more like um, plant-based options. I hope it really opens the conversation piece um, to a larger degree. Amazing. And where can people find more from you? Everything's at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. They can pre-order the book there. If they're listening to it later, they can order the book there. And uh, same with Instagram. It's at Dr. Will Cole, Twitter at Dr. Will Cole, all of those things. So yeah, it's easy to find. Great. We will include all the links and all the things in the podcast extras for this episode, which you can find at healthfulpursuit.com slash podcast slash E97. Thank you so much, Dr. Cole, for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me.
Thanks for listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. Join us again next Sunday to discover more Keto for Women secrets for your fat-fueled life. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be confused as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcasts reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representations or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program.